Hello and welcome back to QC Uncut, your source for uncut, uncensored, unedited conversation with local newsmakers. I'm your host, Sean Leary, and today my guest is one of my frequent guests, Mike Halpin, who is Illinois State Representative for the Quad Cities Area, District 72. And um, Mike is going to talk with us today about a number of things that are going on um, down in Springfield and um, lots of interesting stuff happening in the state of Illinois. Um, Let's start off talking about some of the things that I know there are a lot of things in the media that I want to talk to you about. The courthouse thing, the bizarre bill being introduced about not pumping your own gas, legalization of marijuana, things of that nature. But I think one of the interesting things and one of the things that's important to kind of hit on is um, things that are going on behind the scenes that maybe don't get as much attention but are a lot more substantive and will have a lot of impact on the Quad Cities and the people who live here. So why don't you tell me a little bit about some of the things that are happening behind the scenes and oh by the way thanks a lot for being on the show mike <laughs> well you know thanks for giving me a chance to to be here and talk to you again about you know all these uh, important issues facing us um as far as behind the scenes really we're at a stage where we're as representatives and senators just filing our bills a meeting with uh, interest groups and constituents to see whether they have any ideas that they want us to bring to the table um, and make sure that uh, we get all that in before the uh, legislative drafting deadline, which I think may be this Friday, the 14th. Um, so that's really the, the most that's going on right now. We've had a couple of session days. The governor has given his state of the state address, but we haven't done a lot of substantive work yet until all those bills get in, into the hopper and they get assigned to committee. What are some of the things that you are particularly interested in introducing in championing? championing? Uh, I, I think I've introduced uh, six or seven bills at this point. Uh, there are a couple, as you may know, the Quad City Chamber of Commerce has made a big push for a, a, a bi-state uh, metropolitan regional authority uh, that would involve a, a interstate compact between I- Illinois and Iowa. And so I'm going to be running that bill, at the, the actual interstate compact, and then the companion bill that sets up how we choose our members on the Illinois side. I've also got a couple of other uh, local issue bills. Um, there's an issue where uh, if you're a city that has a responsible bidder ordinance for road projects and other contracts, you have the ability to t- determine whether a contractor is living up to their responsibilities. And you can prevent that contractor from bidding on future contracts. We have a situation in Illinois, though, where let's say the city of Rock Island has a a local project that's getting some federal money. The state ends up being the one that puts that contract out for bid, and the state is not permitted to keep folks off uh, that are on that city's non-responsible bidder list. And so what this bill would do, it would allow the state to honor the wishes of the city in determining which contractors are permitted to bid. So that's another good local issue. Now, is that something that could be kept track of in a universal database where all the cities could enter in um, contractors that have um, provided subpar service or things of that nature, and therefore the state can look to that as um, some sort of uh, just um, North Star in terms of finding out the integrity of certain contractors that they're looking at? I don't know that it needs to be a, a separate database that's kept. You know, that may be a decision for the Department of Transportation to make. I would just say that when you're a municipality applying for those federal funds and asking the state to bid the contract, you could just provide that information along with that application 
for for the project and just say as you know by the way these are contractors that we've determined are non-responsible bidders and you should not accept bids from those from those contractors Let's talk about the duality of the chamber that you're talking about. And that's something that's been talked about for a while. Um, what do you think is going to be the largest benefit in regard to that? And how is it going to bring um, some sort of disparity between the Iowa-Illinois side, given all of the differences mm-hmm. in legislation and leadership on the Iowa and the Illinois side, and just differences, period? Rock Island, very different from Davenport. Um, You're talking about a Davenport, huge population base. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of sprawl. Rock Island is very landlocked. Moline, again, different situation. Bettendorf, a different situation. East Moline, different situation. So how do you bring all of those together um, to bridge bridge those gaps? Yeah, you know, we are one metropolitan region. And uh, a lot of times, because of that, we, uh, as a community, we sometimes get left behind in our individual states. And what this would do is allow each state uh, to have a chance to accentuate their, you know, their uh, positives, the things that they uh, do and do well. You know, we have the International Airport on the Illinois side of the river. Uh, we've got the Niobe Zoo. We've got on the Iowa side, you know, the Figgy, you know, Putnam, different museums, different opportunities. And the, the problem with having a metropolitan area that spans a state line is that we can't always work together or one state's, you know, further ahead in, in trying to put something together as far as funding where the other state's a little bit further behind. This allows all of us to try to get on the same page, try to really capitalize on what we want our regional priorities to be. Uh, I do believe that uh, message, and I think it will be helpful for both states. What are those regional priorities that you think are top of the list? Now, I know we've talked before about um, getting a railway service from Chicago to the Quad Cities, which actually I've long championed as well. I think that's a fantastic idea. And as odd as it seems, you may get commuters yeah, I mean, as someone who's lived in, in and around Chicago, I know how long it takes to get from the suburbs into yeah. the city. Yeah. And if it's quicker to get, as odd as it sounds, people are going to go, that sounds nuts. But seriously, it may be faster to live around the Quad Cities and get on the train and go into Chicago to get to work than it is to live in the suburbs and try and get into the city and battle the traffic. Yeah, that's one of the areas that I'm still continuing continuing to push because you're right. Uh, if you're out in some of those western suburbs, mm-hmm. it'll be just as quick to come out here and much slower pace than yeah. to try to uh, navigate Chicago traffic. But not some to, of the, not to mention not to mention the cost of living in regard to you can buy so much more house out here. It's easy, you know. It's it's just a different way of living than it is in the suburbs. It's just so much more expensive in the suburbs and, you know, it, a lot more traffic, a lot of other things that you have to worry about that you don't have to worry about here. Yeah, we have a great place to live here. And so, you know, that's one of the priorities. Um, we want to really advertise the, the tourism side of being right here on the mighty Mississippi. We want to, uh, you know, enable our area to have additional growth for maybe some manufacturing. Um, uh, bring bring some of that back. It, that's a really difficult task, and we but we shouldn't ignore it uh, uh, while we're trying to do some of these other things that you know the uh, Q twenty thirty program is trying to um, uh, accentuate. Mm-hmm. So um, you know those are really the priorities that we should look at as a region: tourism, transportation, 
infrastructure, uh, broadband, uh, rail service, uh, all those get thrown in. And this will be a, uh, a board that can really uh, collaborate among both sides of the river, you know, all, uh, all four or five, six cities, however you want to define the quad cities, uh, the two counties working together. Um, I think overall it will be a good thing for the area. Now, um, what are some of the ways in which you could see um, bridging the gap? Obviously, as I mentioned, Illinois is now, with Pritzker as the governor, it's become, it's gone back to being a much bluer state. Whereas you look at Iowa, and with Reynolds as governor, it seems to be getting darker and darker red. Now, there are different priorities there, obviously. And while you and some of the other local businessmen and local uh, community leaders may have the same goals, it may be even more difficult to implement them. How do you bridge those gaps politically and in terms of um, economic priorities and funding priorities on both sides? Well, it, it's very hard. Um, I have a good working relationship with my Republican colleagues here in the area, and uh, I think the same is true across the river in Iowa. But at the same time, although we do want many of the same things, we do disagree about how to get there. And I think it's just going to take continued collaboration, uh, you know, research, input from our local governments that don't necessarily have, you know, a partisan stake in any of it and find out what's really going to work best for them. And that's why this locally represented board uh, is going to be helpful in, in accomplishing those goals. Um, what else is a priority for you in regard to um, this new session and uh, what are some other things that maybe have been underreported that you think should get more attention? Um, one of the things is to, again, get to a balanced budget. Uh, we've been able to pass budgets the three years I've been down there, which is something that we had trouble doing uh, under Governor Rauner. Um, and so I want to get back down. That's definitely a top priority for me. Uh, another priority would be to um, uh, fully implement the, the capital bill that we passed last year. We have several projects here in the area, both road projects and, and capital construction projects that we need to see through. And I'm going to be monitoring that over the next, you know, six to nine months. Um, and that's certainly, you know, the point of the capital bill was to get more economic development dollars back into this community. And that's what we're trying to do there. What's it been like working with Governor Pritzker? How, how um, much interaction have you had with him? And what do you see in regard to the differences between him and Governor Rauner? I think the biggest difference that I've seen is the collaborative approach that uh, JB takes when dealing with legislators, not just Democrats, but Republicans as well. Um, I honestly really didn't talk to Governor Rauner at all. It wasn't intentional, but there was not a lot of outreach from his office uh, either. I think at that point when I came in after two years of his administration, he'd been kind of worn down a little bit. Uh, but JB is, is legitimately an optimistic positive person willing to work with anyone to find solutions that's been the the biggest difference he hasn't taken this my my way or the highway approach that i believe governor rauner did when he came in and instead is trying to work with legislators from both parties to try to get um try to get to results that everyone can at least be uh, a little bit happy with mm -hmm. but that, i think that's the the biggest difference is his efforts to reach out and work through the legislative system one thing that's kind of interesting that comes up is you look at Pritzker. Pritzker was criticized as being a billionaire. He's 
mega rich guy. So was Rauner. Rauner was a mega rich guy too. I don't know if he was a billionaire, but he was a mega million. He was a multimillionaire. And um, the two of the. Do you think that? And we're seeing this. You're a Democrat. And we're seeing this in the Democratic primary too, where we're seeing. Um, uh, a distinction, a line being drawn between those who are billionaires, Tom Steyer, Mike Bloomberg, and a lot of the rest of the candidates. How do you feel about that distinction being drawn, and do you think that it's fair in some ways, uh, or do you think that it's misleading? I think it's very fair to be skeptical when uh, folks with lots of money, the ultra-wealthy, try to get in and essentially you know, buy uh, quote unquote buy a race mm-hmm. um, and I admit I was a little bit skeptical about uh, JB's you know entrance into the race sure. during the I, I during the too. primary yeah. uh-huh. uh, but I do think that every candidate deserves to be looked at on a policy basis on a personality basis just like any other candidate and the you know one thing that folks like FDR showed us in the past is that uh, just because you're, you have a certain no, bank don't. account doesn't mean you don't share what I consider strong democratic values of supporting people that work uh, for a living and supporting the people that that aren't healthy enough to work or um, um, or you know can't afford transportation, you know a strong social safety net is important to me, and I think even if you have money, you can certainly share those values, uh, but it's up to the, each voter to determine whether or not that candidate shares their values, and so I think um, I don't think there's anything wrong with it per se, but you really have to do, for me, extra work to try to convince me that you're uh, going to reflect the people that the, that I represent in this area and who I am at heart. And that's an intriguing point that I admit I hadn't even thought about is the fact that FDR came from money. FDR was not a a poor guy. He came from a very wealthy family, and so did JFK, actually. Yeah, you know, they, 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 uh, the, the history book, some of his, you know, um, uh, wealthier friends, you know, they refer to him as a class trader because he was out there to try to help mm-hmm. lift people up from the bottom. And um, yeah, so it's not, uh, it's, I don't think it's disqualifying, but as a voter, you have to really look and see where, where, the, that, um, where that candidate really is at before you cast that vote for them. See, I agree. I, now, um, let's talk about something that's totally off-state topic, but it kind of is on the topic that we're talking about, is the Bloomberg situation. Now, <coughs> I, m- I mentioned this on my Facebook, and so a lot of people uh, misinterpreted me as being coming out in support of Bloomberg, and I'm not. I'm not supporting or endorsing Bloomberg. What I'm saying is that this is a very intriguing strategy that we don't often see. Um, any candidate, whether you're a billionaire or not, blowing off the first couple primaries and not coming in until later. Now, you think about it, and it's very strange because, oh, well, you don't want to skip the first two primaries. But then if you look at them on paper, there aren't a lot of delegates. I mean, there aren't a lot of delegates at stake for Iowa. There aren't a lot of delegates at stake for New Hampshire. You look at the the composition, the racial composition, and the demographics of both states, and they're fairly homogenous. Um, what I think Iowa is like what eighty five percent white or something. It's a high percentage. It's between eighty and ninety percent, I recall. Um, New Hampshire again, predominantly white state. There's not a lot of diversity there, um, and um, New Hampshire is a state that that's an open primary state. So you get Republicans voting. Sometimes the Republicans will want to vote for somebody who they would rather face as opposed to. So they're both states that have kind of odd. 
um, quirks to them where you could say you could discount them. However, the media has built them up to be the be all and end all because of the first two states and that's what the media does they like a horse race and the media i'd say this having been someone who's been in the media professionally since i was a teenager i know how it works it's like people were criticizing you know why isn't the media covering elizabeth warren and they were saying it was misogynist and i was like it's not misogynist that's how the media works the media only cares about the winners and the losers and coming out of iowa the winners were Pete and, and Bernie. The loser was Biden. That's all they care about. They didn't care about third place. Warren did basically what she was expected to do, which was she got around 20% and she finished in third. So they don't give a crap about that. All they care about is who's going to win and who's going to lose. And if it was a woman, they would have, if it was Klobuchar, they would have covered Klobuchar. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, now that's, to, to me, it's very interesting. Like here's Bloomberg. He's, he's spending all this money. But he hung back, and he's waiting on these states, and the states that he's waiting on, and I don't necessarily think, given that he's a white billionaire, he's waiting for the you know racial diversification of South Carolina and Nevada. But then I look at candidates that dropped out, Cory Booker, Julian Castro, Kamala Harris, who are candidates of color, who maybe would have benefited from states that had a more diverse racial composition, like Nevada, like South Carolina, would it have behooved them to pull the Bloomberg strategy and just say, hey, I'm going to go light on Iowa. I'll, you know, I'm going to declare I'm in the race. I'm raising money, but I'm just going to kind of hang back and wait until South Carolina and Nevada and you all figure yourselves out in the first two. What do you think about that strategy in regard to, to Bloomberg? And do you think it could be replicated by somebody who doesn't have a billion dollars sitting around? I, I would say it's much easier for candidates with money to be able to do that. And I, I should say, full disclosure, I'm running as a, a delegate for Senator Warren okay. uh, at, to the convention. But um, I think I'd feel the same way regardless when, when you you have another candidate you know former governor deval patrick out of massachusetts right. that tried to do the same thing and and he doesn't have that i don't think that independent wealth or isn't right. at least isn't willing to spend the kind of money that uh, uh mike bloomberg bloomberg is spending and you kind of see that in the poll results mm -hmm. you know he hasn't really gained a lot of traction whereas uh, mike bloomberg uh, in in some of the polls has right um so I do think uh, that late entrance in the race is a luxury that, that wealthy candidates would have mm -hmm. and is somewhat dis discouraging. You know, whether you like the, uh, the way we've set it up with Iowa and New Hampshire going first, um, it, seems, uh, it seems a little strange to be able to, just because you have a, a personal fortune, to be able to wait and bide your time and ignore the the so-called circus mm -hmm. um it does seem a little strange to me well that's the thing is iowa people these people have been in iowa for a year and a half and that's a lot of money and so that's why when bloomberg started doing this at first my reaction was like yeah you know of course he can do it he's got a billion dollars and you know, that's ridiculous he shouldn't be able to do that and blah 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 but then more i started thinking about it the more i was like well why wouldn't other candidates do that why wouldn't they blow off iowa and new hampshire and just kind of lay back on them and save their money and then jump in given the fact that the the, the lion's share of the candidates are decided in nevada in south carolina and in super tuesday which boom 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 are right there 
and and you could start campaigning and just be like, I'm campaigning in Nevada, I'm campaigning in South Carolina, and just jump back and forth between the two, and then go Super Tuesday states. You know, some it comes down to you know money, but also organization. You know, it's a lot tougher to get staff hired when they may have gone to other campaigns. Mm-hmm. If you haven't announced your intention to get into the race. You, you may lose qualified and quality people that would otherwise support you had you got in mm-hmm. earlier. And and again, candidates that are independently wealthy have an advantage there because you can always hire somebody for the right price sure. to, to get in and do that work. Uh, but some of your most committed volunteers or committed activists may already be, you know, um, working for another candidate by the time some of these other, um, you know, folks like Senator Booker or Senator Harris, if they had waited to get in later, they may not have even... Uh, uh, got that minimal level support that they had in the polls, so mm-hmm. it's a it's really tough to play that uh, what if game. But oh, I sure. but I do think that uh, it's an option that really is um, more reserved for folks that have the funds to pay for it. How do you feel about uh, Senator Warren's finish in Iowa? And do you feel that the media's coverage of it was misogynist in the fact that they were overlooking for it? I'm looking at it from the perspective of the media and knowing how the media works. And like I said, they pick, they pick all they care about are the winners and the losers. If you did horribly, they're going to cover you. If you did great, they're going to cover you. And really, a lot of it was Bernie versus Pete because that was the story. Who's going to win? And, you know, the, the battle between the centrist and the, the progressive. Um I mean, I thought, I remember when I first wrote about the post, whatever the results, you know, in air quotes or whatever, <laughs> That's, I, thought, I thought Warren did well. I thought, you know, she was a strong third. Um, I don't see why people were discounting her in regard to that because I thought she finished. You can't really discount somebody that finished pretty much where they, you figured they were going to finish, given the polls and the momentum. Um, how do you feel her chances are going into New Hampshire? And what do you feel about Iowa and the coverage that she received or the spin that she received coming out of it? I tend to agree with, with your view of the, the media focusing on the winners and losers. I do think they ignored, uh, although although Senator Warren came in about what was expected, she did outperform what mm-hmm. the polls had indicated, and in part because I think folks may have abandoned uh, uh, former Vice President Biden and, and, and got on board with her, uh, and I hope they continue to do so mm-hmm. in, in New Hampshire. Um, so, but, I, but I do understand that dynamic where we want to pick a winner and mm-hmm. and 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 Joe Biden drastically underperformed, oh, right. I, and, and that yeah. so those are the two main stories, and so I I don't think it's directly uh, an attack on on women, although I do wish they would have covered it more because she did overperform. Mm-hmm. I think as we go forward, uh, we'll see what happens in New Hampshire, uh, as we're recording today. Sure. Uh, they're voting right now. Um, I, I think she'll do well. I think she'll do well enough to stay stay in the race. Uh, polling doesn't look like she. Uh, may win but i think she's going to be competitive we're going to try and get this up as soon as possible in advance of tonight let's talk a little bit about new hampshire and, and things coming up um you watch the debate i'm assuming uh, parts of it yeah. parts of it okay yeah. uh I, I, yeah i watched the i watched the whole debate and i posted about it afterwards i felt that um and again it's kind of like you know one of the most moronic comments I think I've ever heard, and that's saying a lot in regard to the mainstream media sometimes, is Lawrence O'Donnell criticizing Bernie for getting half of what he got in 2016. And I'm thinking, you moron.
on, there were only two people running in 2016. <laughs> and he got 49% of the vote because it was only him and Hillary Clinton. How, that's one of the stupidest comments I've ever heard. I, I, I mean, really, you got 25% this time because there are a lot more people. Well, that's true. But, it, I mean, that would uh, the, the inference, though, is that half of Bernie's supporters that voted for him last time were willing to shop around for a better candidate this mm -hmm. time around. And I'm not trying to take away anything from his, you know, what looks like a popular vote victory in Iowa. But I, I think it's a valid point to say that uh, many of his supporters, and, and I was a Bernie supporter in 2016 myself, um, but I, many of his supporters were willing to look at another candidate this time around. And I think that's important to, uh, to bring up. But there are also more choices. Well, exactly. I mean, you have uh, well, you have Elizabeth Warren, who is a, a very fine progressive candidate. She's a great progressive candidate. You have Andrew Yang, who I really like a lot, who is also a great progressive candidate. You had Tulsi Gabbard. You had um, even Tom Steyer for being a billionaire. Tom Steyer talks a lot about climate change, and he's got that's kind of a big thing. And um, you know, then you have more of the centrists, and you had you know Pete and Biden and Amy Klobuchar. Although Klobuchar is more like center left to me, I think she's. Little, little, little to the left of like Biden, um, and so yeah, you had more people cutting up the pie, and I guess that was you know my point in regard when somebody says something yeah, like that. I'm thinking, well, you've got Elizabeth Warren wasn't in the race in 2016, and she took almost 20 percent of that, and and justifiably so because she's a strong candidate. I mean, I think she's a great candidate. I don't um, see. I, I could easily see people going, yeah, you know, when I supported Bernie in 2016, because he more used to my values more than Hillary did. Right. Now Elizabeth is more, she's a little bit more to the center, a little bit more pragmatic, I guess, than, you know, than Bernie in a lot of ways. And so that fits where I'm at. Um, and Yang is kind of a little bit more out there to the left in a lot of ways. And, you know, he's more independent and has different ideas and that, you know, suits people like me who are strange <laughs> so <laughs> and like revolutionary ideas um but uh you know what looking at the debate um i think you know bernie's bernie he's always the same he's always consistent it's always bernie you know and i thought he did he did fine in the debate i i don't anticipate his numbers changing he's going to get his 25 percent whatever that he's polling um i thought i thought Elizabeth Warren, first half of the debate, she kind of disappeared. But the second half, she finished really strong. And I think one of the things that was interesting is obviously Pete and Bernie are the frontrunners now, and so they're taking a lot of the heat. Well, Bernie's just, again, he just kind of blew it off. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, you know, move on. But Buttigieg took a couple of really major hits, particularly in regard to minorities and his record as a mayor in regard to minority arrests. And Warren was one of the ones who pulled that knife out and got him with it when the commentator asked Senator Warren, do you think that that's an adequate response that, that Mr. Buttigieg gave? And she, no, boom, audience erupts and applause. Do you think that's going to be any sort of factor? The other thing is Klobuchar did very well. And I'm not a giant Klobuchar guy. I think in the early debates, she just seemed nervous. She seemed very nervous. She always seemed shaky, um, both literally and figuratively. But she did really, really well on Friday. How do you think? And Biden did not. Biden just seems to be sinking. How do you think it's going to play out? Because here Biden has gone from being the 
surefire, you know, yeah, he's a front runner, and he still is polling very well nationwide. Um, how do you think it's going to shake out tonight? And as a, as an ancillary question, looking at it nationally. Buttigieg's numbers nationally are not good. He's like three or four percent. It's not like, you know, he's in a three-way race. No, he's doing very well in these early states that are predominantly white, that are smaller, that you can go out and shake a lot of hands. Um, But uh, states with a much more diverse racial background, he's not doing very well, and that's really dragging him down nationwide. Nationwide, it's I think you look at the numbers, and it's it's Bernie, it's Biden, it's Bloomberg. Oddly enough, it's Warren and Klobuchar are kind of just below that tier. How do you think things are going to shake out tonight? How do you think the debate is going to impact that? And looking forward nationally, what do you think is you know read the tea leaves, Mike? Tell us what you think. You know, I, I appreciate the the confidence you put in me to read the tea leaves, but I I I really I can't guess. I'm I guess. You know, based on what I've seen, and I haven't looked at it terribly closely, but I think you'll see strong performances from Sanders, Buttigieg, and Warren. I think for most folks, folks will agree that uh, Biden will probably have a little bit more disappointing finish, uh, as he did in Iowa. Uh, and I think maybe uh, Amy Klobuchar will do a little bit better than, than folks expect, which I, I think will kind of closely track what happened in Iowa. And then beyond that, Again, it's anybody's guess as you get into some of these other states. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be I'll be watching the results tonight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'll be well. It'll be <laughs> it'll be interesting nation nationwide. Where do you where do you think things are going in terms of in terms of trends? How big how big of a factor do you think Bloomberg is going to have? Because Bloomberg's not going to eat into into Bernie's numbers. People aren't going to go. You know what? I I really supported far left progressive Bernie. I think I'm going to go over to you know billionaire centrist Bloomberg. Now it's going to eat into Pete and and Biden and the people who are more in the center lane. Yeah, I think it'll he'll appeal to. Folks that want to have a more centrist candidate, but don't like the choices that they already have, mm-hmm. um, and so it, you know, it could help Bernie at the end of the day because it starts to split up some of that other uh, centrist vote. It's really, it's really hard to say, and um, I think we'll know more maybe after tonight, and as we see where uh, campaigns are going to start putting their resources. Mike, would you feel comfortable having a Democratic Socialist as the candidate? I know every I know everybody's asking that. That was the big question. Even though people people seem to be very ignorant as to what Democratic Socialism is, given the fact that you know the fire departments and the police departments and your mail, your library, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, the road crews, the guys who come and bring salt and clear the wet. That's all socialism, folks. Socialism is nothing more than everybody pooling their money together and doing things that benefit the greater good. It's when it goes to a far extreme when you have, like, you know, the government taking over everything. And that's not going to happen. There's too, way too – it's the same thing with Trump and all the talk about fascism and everything else is, you know, anytime the, the system moves for, too far over, the pendulum moves too far wo- over, there's usually a correction in regard to that. Uh, yeah, I think, that, you know, that's, it's a scary term that folks put out to try to discredit someone. But I'm going to support a candidate that wants to make sure that people aren't dying because they can't afford right. health care. I want to support a candidate that believes in the rights of workers to organize, the right to uh, have a living wage and good benefits, uh, a candidate that supports being able to retire in dignity and comfort, 
you know those are the kind of things and whatever label you want to put on it well you know uh, that doesn't really matter as much to me i just want to know that my candidate is going to support those issues is going to fight for the elderly for the for the for the poor and for the middle class that put in an honest day's work every day that's what makes the biggest difference to me so uh, if if the nominee is uh, is bernie i'd be happy to support him um why did you decide to support warren uh, so when I looked at her record, uh, she believes a lot of the things I believe when it comes to pushing back against big corporations, uh, making sure that the ultra-wealthy are paying their fair share uh, and not evading you know, the, the nation's taxes. You look at, uh, I think it was in the news, Amazon hardly, pay, yes. hardly pays any federal yes. taxes, mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos even, you know, um, and some of these other big corporations that really have benefited from the system of government that we provide and that their lobbyists honestly have a big uh, impact on, they've benefited from the system we have and they should be able to be paying into that system and not essentially redistributing wealth up from the bottom to their own pockets. And I know she's been a consistent fighter on that, on consumer protection, um, the big bang. She supports labor rights, repealing right to work, all those things put together. Um, which, you know, Bernie stands for all those as well. But being a member of a legislature myself, I know how difficult it is to navigate those and to work with other members that may not have the, the same background or same opinions that you do. And I do think she has the ability uh, uh, to work around some of those issues and to get things done, not just have the big ideas, but actually try to implement them um, the best she can, uh, even if they're you know, worst case scenario, there's a Republican Senate. So that's, you know, that's kind of why I gravitated toward her was the, was the ideology. But I tend to be a, you know, a pragmatic problem solver myself. And I think she shares some of those abilities. I agree. I, I think she's a really strong candidate. And I like her for the same reasons you enumerated. Um, you mentioned the whole the Amazon not paying taxes. <clears throat> I, thought, I thought the Sanders campaign had a, a brilliant brilliant talking point this week where they came out and they said, I shouldn't call it a talking point because it seems like, but it, they had a, a brilliant rebuttal to the whole socialism thing where they said Trump believes in socialism for the rich. Uh, and that's, yeah. that not only is well, true, I mean, it defines it. That is socialism. Oil subsidies are socialism. And Farm subsidies are socialism. Yeah. They are the exact that is socialism. It's the exact same thing. Amazon, when you are when you're Amazon and you're coming to town and you want to avoid paying taxes because you want to build a building in your in someone's city. Well, not only then that's that's socialism. Yeah, not only not paying taxes, but asking the local government and the state government to give to you give money, you money yes. to give my you know my income tax, your income tax right. payments, your sales tax payments, all that taxpayer money. They want it back just for the privilege of having them in your city. Right. And you know that money could go a lot further. I think the the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago have put together a plan that may have given uh, several billion dollars to Amazon. And that $2 billion, let's say, would be much better spent on giving it to 10 different co smaller companies yes. at $200 million apiece. Or even, uh, I don't know, I'm, you're messing me up on the, messing up on the math no, here. But 100, uh, you know, 1,000 companies at 200000 apiece to really be an incubator for, those, for the jobs, create more jobs than mm -hmm. just relying on this one behemoth uh, that isn't paying into the system at all. So we could do that much better, absolutely. 
That's actually one of the things I disagreed with President Obama on, is I thought that the way he should have distributed the bailouts to Wall Street, I agreed with the fact that you need to help out these businesses to make sure that the economy doesn't completely crater immediately. But the way he should have done it, and this would have been ingenious, is if he would have said to them, okay, we're going to divide this up, and you're going to cancel all of the debt for all of the consumers, all of the taxpayers out there. We're going to add this up, and all the debt that you cancel for all the consumers is the amount of money we're going to give you. And therefore, they get the money, and then consumers have their debt, can't their debts, their credit card debts canceled with their own money, with taxpayer money. And then again, what's going to happen if all of a sudden you had $3,000, $5,000 in, or more than that in credit card debt and you have none? What's going to happen? All these people are going to go out and spend money. Yeah. And that's going to stimulate the economy. But, you know, yeah. I'm not president, Mike, unfortunately. <laughs> Are you running? I'm I, I, thinking about it. Thinking about it. Well, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see how it goes in 2020. Um, so uh, how would you feel about a Warren and Sanders ticket? What if the two of them decided, because I've long said this, that I think the, the, the path to victory um, is because you look at Buttigieg and he's doing great now, but he's got bad numbers in terms of African American and minority voters, which is going to which is going to hurt him nationwide. You look at Bloomberg and he's got there's the bias against he's a no he's a billionaire blah blah blah. Um, you look at Biden and please don't because he's just he's falling apart. I mean I like I like him he seems like a nice guy and he seems sincere, but man it's painful to watch sometimes the the gaffes that he makes and he just doesn't he's not in he's not in his a game um klobuchar again she's she's looking good she looked great in the last debate but she's got a lot of ground to make up sanders and and warren sanders is always pulling around he's always consistent his numbers don't dip or they don't rise they're kind of stay within the same parameter warren seems to be almost you know the same if the two of them join forces they're both progressive candidates and i know that there was a lot of sniping between the camps after the whole thing with you know warren and bernie and the whole conversation that took place and whatever but come on now that's really that's a that, that's not a life ending yeah. argument or something that's a difference of opinion that i think they can be overcome there are much worse things in politics and in primaries that have been overcome to put candidates on the same ticket what if they were on the same ticket do you think it would be a good idea do you think it'd be a winning ticket do you think that it would be something that people would rally behind yeah i'll, I'll support any uh ticket that has democrats on it we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're at that situation i think well, uh, i think i think a lot of people are that yeah broadly, i think a lot of people are there as well and i would hope that whatever the combination um is People understand that what unites the Democratic candidates is far greater than what divides us, and sure. certainly in comparison to what we have in D.C., yeah, they, no doubt that's what we need that. to do. Yeah. Um, one of the things I was actually was going to post about today, I was thinking about this, is um, the impeachment trial. Let's talk a little bit, little bit about that. I know I'm throwing you on the seat, but you're my designated <laughs> Democrat today. Um, how do you, what do you think about the fact that only Mitt Romney was able to you know, summon up the intestinal fortitude to step up and do the right thing, looking at the evidence that was, and of course, like everybody who's a Republican listening to this, he didn't do the right thing. No, but if you actually objectively look at the evidence, I mean, Trump came right out and admitted 
the fact that he essentially it was a quid pro quo he was trying to do this right. you don't want to set a precedent regardless of whether it's a democratic president or a republican president you don't want to set this precedent to allow the president the power to investigate his domestic political rivals with the help of a foreign power and then have that have that leveraged against you it's a dangerous situation and romney did the right thing in voting for you know against against trump um but it's a strange thing that you have this block of people that refuse to quote unquote go against Trump. Now that always seemed odd to me because if you if you look at Trump's press conferences, he just seems like a he seems like a buffoon. I mean, he just seems like a narcissistic buffoon. And so, but there are people behind Trump. Trump doesn't come up with these like all these judicial appointments are not on the desk of Donald Trump all from all reports I've read from the books from things behind the scenes it seems as if he's almost a distraction that's being put forward and there are people behind the scenes who are far smarter and conniving and canny than he who are doing all of the work and who are coming up with these judicial, these very far right judicial appointments that are pushing this agenda. And Trump is kind of going along with it because they can manipulate him because he's so narcissistic and they'll say, they'll make it seem like it's his idea and then he'll support it. And then his supporters will support it. Um, do you think it's a fact that it's not so much that the, the GOP is afraid of Trump, but they're afraid of the money and the people that are powerful that are behind Trump? I think it's mainly that, uh, the president has certainly appealed to folks that have economic struggles and want someone to just, in their mind, you know, say it like it is. And he's done a good job. And I, you know, and I ask people as I go around my district, you mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, why why do you support? Why don't you support the president? And that that comes up a lot. I mean, unfortunately, his policies don't match the rhetoric. I can appreciate some of the rhetoric when he talks about how you know the elites have have mm-hmm. left. Uh, left the working person behind. In a lot of sense, I agree that with that. The big bankers, mm-hmm. the big corporations—they, you know—you're just some data to them. Uh, you're a number on a spreadsheet. Um, but the problem is, his policies don't match up with addressing those problems. Right. And so I, I, I think, um, but he has gotten that devotion from a certain segment of the population that that do threaten Republican politicians if they don't do everything that he says, regardless of whether you uh, uh, agree with him as a person. So I think that's a big problem for the the Republican Party. By the end of the impeachment, uh, you hear many of the senators saying, I, you know, I, at the end of the day, I don't think he, he may have done the right thing, but it's certainly not impeachable. You know, I would have, you know, they say I would have handled the phone call differently or I wouldn't have held up that, that money. But at the end of the day, it's not a high crime or misdemeanor. And I, I respect Mitt Romney for, for coming to the other conclusion. Right. I mean, um, it must have been very difficult for him knowing what he knows about his electoral uh, prospects and the way the Republican Party is, uh, he made a difficult decision. And I think, uh, you know, similarly, you know, Doug Jones in Alabama, I don't think his electorate necessarily uh, supports him on on voting to convict, but he came to that same conclusion that he's doing what he thinks the right thing. So, um, yeah, so I think, you know, that that's what each senator had to had to come up with. And that's where Mitt landed. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you hit upon something that's really interesting, um, the, um, but we'll get we'll get to that in another podcast because I know you've got to go. Um, 
courthouse situation. Let's hit upon that really fast. Uh, give me your opinions in regard to Rock Island County courthouse situation because you jumped into the fray very publicly on Facebook yeah. on this side. Yeah, I, I've always thought that we shouldn't be spending any more county taxpayer dollars on the building. It's certainly not fit to be a courthouse anymore, and I definitely supported building um, and building the annex to have a, a newer, modern facility for that. At the same time, if we have an opportunity for someone to come in and redevelop it and make it a productive use of space in downtown Rock Island, I absolutely support that. And I think the county board should take steps to, to at least try to make it happen. And I've always said that if, if they go through that kind of process and they don't find anyone that's willing or able to renovate it under the conditions that it needs to be renovated and uh, under the security conditions that, that may be uh, necessary, then at that point, as a last resort, you tear it down. Um, but I don't think the county board has explored all those options yet, and I continue to encourage them to do so. What do you think about Joe Lemon coming forward and making a proposal for half a million up front and another eight million in development? I, I certainly appreciate that offer. Unfortunately, the, you know, the the lawyer in me, the public, you know, the municipal lawyer in me, says that of course you can't just accept that offer on the spot. The proper way to do it is to go through. Uh, a request for proposals, right, you know, process. and get all that, get approval from financial institutions and all that. And for me, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be Joe Lemon that redevelops it. And I think Joe has said it doesn't have to be me that redevelops it. But uh, that's, you know, that's what we're. It, it's one option, and then we want to continue down that option. What about this strange bill that surfaced in regard to people not being able to pump their own gas? Yeah, it's uh, uh, people file a lot of bills. Obviously, this isn't. This isn't. Please tell me this isn't going to go anywhere. Uh, I don't suspect that it will. It's highly unlikely that it'll pass. And even the bill sponsor today uh, stated that she just wanted it to be an option for people as opposed to a mandate. Although the way she introduced it, it was a mandate. Uh, but I certainly wouldn't be able to support a bill that requires uh, gas station attendance. I think uh, the vast majority of people are capable and able to do it on their own. And there, I think there are procedures um, for folks with disabilities that do need assistance in, 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 in pumping that gas. And if there's a way that we can make that easier for those people, uh, that's one thing. But mandating it for everyone isn't the right way to go. Well, yeah, I think in regard to the disabilities issue, I think that's an excellent point. But have, I think that in that case, you should have a, a gas station attendant who is capable of pumping the gas. That should be something that should be mandatory. You should have somebody who's able to come out and pump the gas for them if they need help with that. But otherwise, preventing other people from doing so seems ridiculous. Yeah, I think uh, it, it's not right for our area, for sure. I right. think I, I haven't had many folks... Uh, come to me and say, you know, hey, we need, we need, really need to have this law in the books because it's been too difficult for, uh, or too inconvenient for us to pump our own gas. Uh, in the, on, to the contrary, I've had plenty of people bring this issue up to me and say we absolutely don't want that. Uh -huh, so right. we should, uh, we should honor that. Real quick, how do you think the legalization of marijuana is going? And in regard to the issue of uh, having vape, uh, having uh, pot cafes and things of that nature, that's on the table right now. Uh, the first thing I would say is that we seem to be, you know, uh, coming out ahead as far as revenue projections. We're uh, uh, doing fairly well there. Obviously, that's going to drop off over the course of the year. But along with that, I haven't uh, heard too many complaints about any negative consequences of having it. Uh, I don't. I don't think the impaired driving has been up. I don't think there have been other uh, crime issues or any of those other negative negative aspects that folks were raising. 
it's still early. We'll have to see what happens over the course of the year, but I'm encouraged at least by the initial response uh, from the people in the area. Um, as for the the cafes, I think I think it makes sense. Uh, the law that we put into place was somewhat restrictive in that if you have a landlord that doesn't allow consumption, or if you're in federal housing, uh, that clearly doesn't allow uh, consumption, and you really are discriminating against people based on their their means. And so I think it makes sense uh, even for out of state residents. You know, they have to have an option if they if, if they essentially got to know someone in Illinois and go to their house to to consume, or otherwise you're still committing a law uh, a violation of the law in Iowa. Uh, so I think it makes sense to have a place where people can gather um, and, and do that, and maybe bring a little business to city of Rock Island or Moline or East Moline. So I think I think sh- you should explore it. Uh, but do it in a responsible way. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else you'd like to add? Anything else that you think is important that we maybe did not touch upon? Uh, I don't think so. I'll probably think of something as soon as I walk out the door, right. but uh, I'd always be happy to come back and we can talk about those then. Awesome. And I can count on your vote when I run for president in 2024 <laughs> or 2028, Mike. The, the, the platform looks okay, but I, I'll have to reevaluate you. There may be more candidates running then. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for being a guest on this show. Mike Halpin, um, Illinois State Representative for District 72, which includes the Quad Cities, of course. Um, Thanks a lot for being on the show. You're always a fun guest to have. Yeah, always happy to be back anytime. Thanks for asking. Cool. And thank you for listening to QC Uncut, uncut, unedited, uncensored conversation with local newsmakers. I'm Sean Leary. Hope you have a great day.